What up, what it do, and what's good, people? Man, what a weekend. What a weekend it was. When is enough enough? I could answer that for me, but you can answer it for yourself. Through the hurt, through the pain, you have to ask yourself, am I doing enough? Through the hurt, through the pain, you have to ask yourself, am I the problem? Through the hurt and the pain, you have to ask yourself, do my silence means that I've given up? Do my silence mean that I am not with you? And do my silence help those of us that have seen injustice in our communities? Silence. Silence. Is it uncomfortable to hear nothing? Be the voice of change and make a difference. Be the voice of change and hold people accountable. Be a voice for those who are being dehumanized. If we just sit back and not stand up for racism, feminism, or any injustices, then we can't induce change. Look, we can't be silent. We must be heard. We must incite change no matter your race. If you don't know, you are tuned in to another exciting episode of Talk to Talk with Mo Orr. Look, we have so much to talk about, so many things that's going on in this world, and so many topics to cover. So before we get started, this will be the perfect time to tell anyone and everyone that is not watching or listening to go watch the show and go listen to my damn podcast. Oh yeah, we got a great one lined up for you today, and a very, very important, uh, important guest waiting in the wings and anxious to get started. But first, this podcast is brought to you by The Jerky Zone. When you're looking for that high protein pack snack to get you back on track, oh yes, the next stop is The Jerky Zone. And intro wheels, where custom rims make your classic cars come to life. And lastly, Abandoned Capital Management, where the plus in the logo signifies above and beyond commitment to adding value to investments by providing A-plus impact to the world we touch. You can also view this podcast on our app at www.thsn.today. Watch, submit, and share. So go download the app. If you're a workout buff and you like to work out all the time or you got to drive 500 miles and you want to listen to this show, go to Apple and Google Podcasts, Anchor Breaker, and Spotify. Now, who said we can't win? So let's get to it. Today's topic is life in basketball. Not basketball, life in basketball. The program, culture, and of course, passion. My guest today is the former associate head coach for the Arizona State Sun Devils and currently the head men's basketball coach for, yes, my alma mater. Cal State University Fullerton. Those Titans, please welcome to the show, Coach Dietrich Taylor. What's going on, D? Not much. Pleasure. Pleasure to be here. 
humbled to be here, Amen. quite frankly. Thanks for having me. Hey, man, it's my pleasure. Trust me. Look, and as any superhero, what? Did I call myself a superhero? Yeah, you as any superhero, they have a sidekick, and so do I. Batman had Robin, and I got the CTO of the high school narrative, Tony Rosignal. What's going on, Tony? Mo, 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 here we go, go. We're going, baby. Got a great, great interview. <laughs> big Titan, big Titan fan. We're going to have a good time here. Mo, do what you do. Come on, man. You know I'm doing what I do. Look, man. Look, I got my boy on, on the podcast. I've been, uh, we've been talking back and forth and trying to make this happen. And finally, I pinned him down, right? He, he had the pandemic. What are you, you going to tell me? No, I can't do it. I, I'm busy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he had to eventually make his way to Talk to Talk. So we're here with Coach Dietrich Taylor, man. Hey, man. What's the pandemic been like for you, man? We talked before you before I started the show, and I talked about your beard. That's a you said that's the effects of the COVID nineteen, huh? <laughs> no doubt, it is. Uh, it has been stay at home central, and and I've actually done some home projects. I got some paintings up off the floor and up on the wall, and so uh, I haven't been able to get to the barber. So the, the this this growth on my face is an effect of COVID nineteen. <laughs> <clears throat> Man, we start, it's starting to they starting to ease up some restrictions and stuff like that. So eventually, I think the third phase was barbershops and and uh, and beauty salons and all that stuff. I think I saw an interview with a barber that said, "I am not looking forward to cleaning up those COVID nineteen haircuts." <laughs> yeah, I think there's going to be some interesting sights and sounds at the barbershop when when uh, when certain guys roll in, and I would imagine I'll be one of those guys. Hey, a lot to talk about, man, when it comes to that. You go into the barbershop. And I, I'm going to tell you viewers out there, if you haven't been to a barbershop, number one, in the hood, in the black neighborhood, you can listen to some of the best stories hmm. by old heads. Some of the old heads in there give you some best stories. Isn't that right, Dietrich? No question. Some of the best <laughs> knowledge, some of the best experiences, and probably most importantly, some of the best perspectives uh, are handed down in the barbershop. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Hey, look, man, let's kind of get into it, man. I know that you uh, you, you played number one at Kings River Community College. Um, how much harder is it, is that path to go from like a community college player to a division one player? Um, you know, it's, it's, I would say today it's a little easier because there's just more accessibility you know with the internet with twitter with social media in general i think there are more avenues to, for for exposure for guys um trying to seek division one opportunities out there versus when i played you know there, there were there were pay phones i don't even know if cell phones were really really rocking and rolling at that time we're talking about 20 some odd years ago so um, there are more avenues, you know, it's still hard. Um, don't get me wrong, it's still hard. It's still really, really hard, exponentially hard. Um, you know, as you start talking about the percentages of actual guys that go from high school or junior college um, that move to the division one level, it's still really, really hard. But I think, um, you know, the statistics suggest that it's, it's easier nowadays than when it was when I played, just because again, social media, the platforms, the, the recruiting services, there's just more access that is available to players, to coaches that are in search of actual players. Uh, there's just more access out there nowadays than when I played. 
Yeah, you probably getting a page on your page, or you know what I'm saying. You looking at that number, let me go hit her back. Yeah, no you doubt. Don't have phone, no you got to go spend twenty five cent at the, t- at the at the phone booth. <laughs> exactly, that's exactly right. And now, now that you think about it, like, what sense did it make to have a pager if you didn't have a cell phone? Like, what, what, hey, what? some people's priorities are totally different, man. Some people's priorities are totally different. You, no doubt. Buy the phone first, then get yourself a pager, exactly. man. Buy exactly. the phone, they can call you. You're no welcome. Doubt. No doubt. <laughs> Look, man, so you went from Kings River uh, Community College to Armstrong Atlantic um, State uh, to UC Davis, yeah. right? To UC Davis. Well, what was that journey like for you, man? You know, it was interesting. You know, if I had it to do all over again, I would have gone from right from Kings River to UC Davis. That's where I should have gone. That's where my heart was. But I was chasing um, the opportunity to kind of get outside of my comfort zone. One of my best friends who, who now is a head coach at McNeese State, and uh, we formed a bond um, that, that, that I don't think can be broke ever. Um, we formed a bond. We were college roommates at Kings River, and, and he went to Armstrong State uh, in Savannah and kind of coerced me to come down there, and I followed it. And, I just, I wanted to get outside of my comfort zone and get outside of California and see what life was like. And quite frankly, um, it was miserable. I couldn't stand it. I didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't, I'm not a, I'm not a Southern boy. I am a spoiled, rotten Southern California kid. And, 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 and I love it. I'm proud of it. And I'm not trying to experience that ever again. And so um, fortunately, UC Davis stuck with me. And they held an opportunity for me, even though I made a mistake. And, and it wasn't a mistake, quite frankly. Um, you know, I am still a part of, of history um, at Armstrong State. Um, at that time, we were the winningest team in school history. I think we've since been surpassed. But I do believe at that time, we were, we were the winningest team in school history um, that year. And moving on to, I think, the second or third round in the NCAA tournament. Um, for Division Two, um, and so again, just being a part of that that historical moment was something that that I can always hang my hat on. And, and the experience of of developing a relationship with my teammates and and going through the ups and downs and the ins and outs of of, of that that season, that six months, because we were on the quarter system and. I was there for two of the three, and I promise you, Mo, I could not wait to get back to California. Like, I was literally counting down the days, man. Like, like there were two things that were really fun. was the food and Oktoberfest. Outside of that, man, listen, I couldn't wait to get the heck out of there, dude. I, I, you, you know, I, I just, I miss California. And not that I was homesick. I didn't miss my parents or anything, but I just missed the lifestyle. I missed the experience that I was used to. And so um, I came back to Davis and spent the spring quarter there. And then I was eligible to play right away. And, and again, I was a part of a winning culture. I was a part of a winning team. And I was always attracted to that no matter where I was, no matter where, what decision I made, I wanted to be a part of something successful. And that, that has always driven, um, driven me. Um, But Again, going and playing for Bob Williams, um, who, you know, you fast forward and you become the head coach at Cal State Fullerton. You look down the sideline in your third or fourth conference game, he's on the sideline down there. And so you're coaching against him. And so, again, you talk about bittersweet and, and nostalgic and all of those, those adjectives that go into that. It was, it was fascinating nonetheless 
Um, and little did I know that, you know, that that relationship would play out that way. And, and to this day, he's still one of my my biggest fans, probably, and, and one of my greatest mentors. But, um, you know, it was it was one of the fascinating, most fascinating experiences that I've, that I've had um, to date to be able to just kind of transition through that, going from Kings River to the complete opposite side of the country, of which I had no idea what I was doing, you know, just an 18, 19 year old kid trying to trying to figure out life and then realizing I didn't like it, coming back to Davis and um, building bonds and relationships that, that are still very, very prevalent today in my life. Hey man, do you think that now as a coach and understanding that part of the recruiting, now having to go into a uh, somebody's house and talk about, of course, I think it would be easier to do the recruiting because you're in California. But what about those coaches who are coming from the Midwest or the uh, Far East Coast trying to recruit Californians? Do you think that makes it more difficult because of that? Um, I, I think so, biasly speaking, because it ain't no place like California. Ain't no, no it's not. Place like California, and I mean that. My mom's an English teacher, and I mean, ain't no place like California. <laughs> so make sure you say, ain't no place like no. California. It's just hard to. So you hard got to it. <laughs> you heard it on from a college educator. Yes, ain't. sir. That is the word. I'm trying to. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. You know, and and again, I think, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, it just that that plays a lot into it in terms of location. Um, and, and for where we are, um, specific to Cal State Fullerton, there's there's very few places that can have that can sell location as good as we can. You know, we're, yeah. we're literally, and I say this in recruiting, you could you could be in our location, and you can go 25, 30 minutes in one direction and put your feet in the sand, and you can right. come back to our location and go an hour and 15 minutes in a complete opposite direction and put your feet in the snow literally in right. the same day there's very yeah. few places in the world that you can do that and so to have that type of versatility i think is unique in itself yeah i 100 agree with that i talk about that all the time and i tell people yeah 30 minutes this way yeah. I'm, I'm at the beach yeah 45 minutes that way yeah i'm cold yeah you might want to keep a jacket in the trunk because you can <laughs> no stay ready no doubt. <laughs> hey so um when you when you when you talk about that your your journey as a player, you know I'm often I'm often intrigued by uh, former players that are now coaches and trying to figure out when in their head because a lot of times players don't want to they don't they don't want to stop playing they want to continue to play and go as far as they can in that dream right mm -hmm. When did it click for you to where as you said you know what. I think I want to coach the game. <clears throat> yeah, you know, my, my story, I think, is a little bit unique because I actually ran from coaching for quite some time. My dad is a longtime, very successful high school coach. Um, very, very successful high school coach. I think he has, I want to say, a total of maybe five or six CIF titles with maybe two or three of those titles being state titles, both men and wow. women on both sides and so for a long wow. time I didn't want to I didn't want to be that dude I didn't want to follow in those footsteps because a uh -huh. that's those are some ginormous footsteps to follow in uh -huh. 
Um, and then number two, I just, I, you know, I saw the struggle. I saw what you went through dealing with high school players and probably more importantly, parents. I saw what he dealt with and, and I saw the space because I lived with him. I saw where his heart was. I saw where he was coming from, but then I also saw where these parents were coming from with, with their vigor and them and like their, their and, and I didn't want to deal with that. And so when I stopped playing, I played a little bit professionally. When I stopped playing, I got into um, the agent business because I wanted to still be a part of sports basketball, but I didn't think I wanted to coach. And so I worked with a group out of Oxnard called PSI, Preserving to Succeed with integrity, um, probably for about a year and a half. I worked with them um, and and <clears throat> it, it was, it was. I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. Again, Bob Williams, I went to a gym in July. I was working as an agent, but they had a recruiting event in July at Cal State Dominguez. And I walked across and Coach Williams was sitting on the far end of the gym. There were four courts going and I walked across and I walked down and it took me about 45 minutes to get to coach because of all of the coaches that I knew I either played against, played with, or just had a relationship with. And it took me forever to get to coach. And he pulled me aside and he said, what are you doing? Get your dumb ass on this side. This is where you belong. And I wasn't, I didn't cuss. He said that, so I'm quoting him, Tony. That was him. Um, and, and, and literally Mo, it just, it just dawned on me right then there in that moment, it hit me that he was right. This is where I belong. This is where I wanted to be. And so from that day forward, I just kind of started working towards becoming a coach and Brian Fogle, who was now the head coach at, at uh, UC Davis. He, he, he was an assistant when I played there. He allowed me to come back and basically be a volunteer assistant. Paid me $400 a month. My desk was a chair in the corner. That was literally my desk. I had a chair in the corner. The other two uh, coaches, had, other two assistants had desk in the office and mine was a chair. And um, I did everything. I did literally everything. I scouted, I had, I recruited, um, I got on the floor, I had in-office assignments. Um, I did everything and, and, I, and I don't wanna say I did everything, I was allowed to do everything. And I was corrected, I was, I was encouraged um, to do this. Hey, don't do it that way, do it this way. And so I, I was able to kind of cut my teeth um, at the division two level and that was, that was kind of my introduction to coaching. I always knew that I wanted to stay close to the game. And the piece about the agent deal, it gave me the opportunity to, to recruit. It gave yeah. me, and a part of my recruiting spiel was, is hey, I played, I will be your workout guy. I'm still gonna work you out. Like I'm gonna be different than other agents. I'm not gonna hire somebody, I'm gonna be that dude. And yeah. so that was the coaching piece for me. And so I was still able to get in and strategize with a couple of guys and work them out and, and do all of that stuff. And then, you know, the one thing I've, I've always known or my dad taught me when I was a young, young, young pup, he said, listen, you have two things. You have your name and your word. If you screw those two things up, you pretty much might as well just go lay down in the grave because you're done. Yeah. 
And as an agent, I started to learn that I was tarnishing my name. And by, by not being able to deliver on things that I was saying, and I was just like, that's not me. I'm not, I don't like that. And so that's kind of what, I don't want to say it burned me, but that kind of opened my eyes. Like you don't have total control. So let's get away from that. And I transitioned into, into coaching. And thankfully um, that was, that was in my opinion, God calling me to my purpose, showing me, Hey, yeah, you can do that, but that's not what you are. That's not who you are. That's not what your calling is and opening up my eyes and the opportunity to allow me to walk in my purpose. Well, what's funny is, is I want to know how that worked out for you with you not wanting to follow your dad's footsteps <laughs> because uh, <laughs> look what you're doing. Look what you're doing now. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, <clears throat> your dad, where did, where did he coach, if you don't mind me asking? He, he pretty pretty much coached primarily in Pomona. So he, he started at... Um, he started at Pomona High School. He was 20, he was a 22 year old head coach at Pomona wow. High School at 22. Wow. He left there, got fired, I think, and he left there and he stayed in that district as a teacher. But he bounced around from Fremont to Gary to um, Palomar's Middle School, back to Pomona High School to Diamond Ranch High School, to, um, oh man, he got out of the district. This school is slipping like Colony, Colony High School. Um, but at Diamond Ranch, Pomona High School, Colony is where he won all of his titles. Wow. At those, at, at those places. And again, like I said, not just on the boy side, not just on the girl side. No. He's got both. Like, if you walk into Colony, he's got girls' titles. If you walk into Pomona High School, he's got boys. If you walk into Diamond Ranch, I think he's got both. Like, he literally <laughs> opened Diamond Ranch. I don't even know how you would run from that. How do you try and run from that? You, I'm going to go be an agent. Okay, no problem, buddy. We'll see you in 22 minutes. And then you come back, and now, look at what you're doing now. Like, you should have just... You should have just followed his footsteps from the very beginning. Here is that that is the epitome and definition of dumb. D-U-M-B. <laughs> when Webster defines dumb, you just look at my picture. There you go. That's, that's it right there. <laughs> that, that's because you don't know what you don't know. That's true, man. It's true. <laughs> and it's so funny because my kids don't think I know anything either. So I totally you understand go. where you're coming from, man. There you go. So inside one of your answers, you talked about uh, in the high school, you didn't want to deal with the parents that influence and, you know, do all this stuff. Look, before we go to break, I'm going to ask you this question. How much influence do parents have at the college level, man? How much influence? Because, yes, in high school, they're all over the place. And everybody's here, well, you know what? I'm going to take them. I'm going to transfer. How much influence do they have in the college level? Quite a bit. Quite a bit. Um from this standpoint, they, they, you, you just have to be aware. You cannot ignore, you cannot ignore their influence because if you do shame on you, people, when, right. when I forget who said it, but when people show you who they are, believe them. And so at that point in time, you have to, you have to acknowledge that that's, that's who you're getting. You are 
allowing that, welcoming that into your program. So when they do those things in your program, you can't be surprised. You can't act like, oh, wow, here, where did that come from? You have to study the parents just as much as you study the student athlete. And just because they are who they are, it doesn't mean that you don't take them. You have to game plan for dealing with them. You have to accept them and, and, and either A, have a conversation, which I do. Hey, listen, let me tell you something. If your son signs his name on the dotted line, if we offer him, here's how our relationship is going to act. This is what we're going to do. If you want to talk about basketball, probably don't want to come here. We can talk about anything else other than basketball. You want to talk about his grades? You want to talk about how he goes to class? You want to talk about how he goes to the weight room, the training room? You want to talk about anything other than basketball? We can be best friends. But the moment you want to talk about hoop, probably not going to work out. And that's that's how we've been able to, in my opinion, that's how we've been able to navigate some of those types of relationships. And we've been really fortunate that we haven't had too many overbearing parents um, where, where they're just out of line or, or you know, you know, some of the parents that, that are out there yeah. Um, yeah. That, are, that are trying to live vicariously through their, 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 uh, their, their students, their, their children. Um, we haven't had to deal with many of those. And um, I think I've probably walked away from, from some of those as well. Just like, hey, you know what? I don't, I don't want to deal with that. Um, yeah, I was gonna say. I was gonna say if you see though, if you see those parents like you're out to watch a kid, yeah. and at a high school basketball game or AAU tournament or something, and you see their parents being ridiculous on the sidelines, whether it's berating officials or that coach don't know nothing, get the ball and shoot it. Yeah. <laughs> Will you look at that kid and go, okay, he's very talented, but I don't know if I want to deal with the mama. How do, you, how do you balance that, man? Um, it, who do you want to answer that question? Do you want me to answer that, or you want the political me? No, I'm just playing. No, no, no. <laughs> it just—it depends on it. Just it, you know, it depends on how talented that dude is. If if that dude is bigger than his problems, you know, and it, it, his parents, then then you know we'll we'll find we'll look at making it work, but. In a lot of in a lot of cases, you know, in a lot of ways, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. As a part of our culture, as a part of our chemistry, as a part of a young man growing up and developing and being able to get away from that pressure, most times it's not worth it's not worth it. Because in a lot of ways, the moment something goes wrong, the moment something they don't get their way they're going to transfer or they're going to go to the AD or they're going to cause some type of unnecessary problem. And like I said, you can invite that in your program and you can deal with it or you can try to set the table before they get there. Or you can say, you know what? I'll pass. You have those options um, on the forefront. And so, you know, a lot of parents, Sometimes they don't even know they act like that. Some of them do, some of them don't. But but for me, I just try to be open. I try to be honest and straightforward. Like if I feel like there's a parent that or a kid that we want and the parents are acting like that, I'll ask them. I'll, I'll film them. I'll say you 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 know you act like that. 
And they'll, sometimes they'll say, no, I didn't know that was me. Yeah, that's you. And I'll go back to a couple games and I'll show them. That's you still. You, you, you do that. <laughs> we'll try to help them out. If they don't want to help, if they don't want help, then hey, we'll help them out the door. That's right. That's right. Look, we're going to have to take a real quick break. Got some PSAs and, and some sponsorship stuff to talk about. Um, but I'll tell you, as the, the viewer, when we come back, we're going to talk about DNA, James Harden, and the process. What? I know you're looking. I know you're listening more with Coach Dietrich Taylor, Cal State Fullerton. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. When I grow up, I want to be a ballerina. I want to be a doctor. When I grow up, I want to be a chef. When I grow up, I want to be a surgeon or a basketball player. I want to be a doctor when I grow up. I want to be caught in a Our commitment to delivering lifestyles within reach is based on a holistic view of investing. We do not invest simply in brick and mortar, but we invest in the people in our communities and we support their dreams and aspirations. One of the great things about the North Point basketball program is it provides uh, our kids an opportunity to explore their hopes and dreams. I think the greatest thing about the program is that we are developing life skills for them, um, discipline, structure. Uh, respect, hard work, friendships, fun. I think in their schools, in their uh, junior highs, in their high schools, and on into college, these are all things that sports is a vehicle to teach them life skills and, and to mentor them into being um, successful people, not only in sports, but in life. Success and stability starts in the home. Avanath provides housing to very hardworking, good people who are pursuing their American dream, and we are incubating that American dream. What we are doing is trying to support those families and help provide activities and mentorship for their children. We're part of their extended family, and it's our dream to help them reach their dreams. That is indeed what Lifestyle Within Reach is all about. terms because he used ain't. <laughs> he used the word ain't on radio and TV. So I can use the word bees, man. Look, we're still here with Coach Taylor from Cal State Fullerton Titans, uh, the head coach. We were kind of talking and, you know, we, we, we left out the break talking about parents and the, uh, and the college ranks and their influence. Look, so I, I kind of want to go go into your, your coaching thing. So you're at Loyola Marymount. Portland State, Nevada, and then you went to Arizona State where you were very influential. I, I want to say recruiting James Harden and, and, and coaching James Harden, and now you're at Cal State Fullerton. Talk about that roadmap, man, and uh, and, and, and all that. I don't know what, what they consider quick in, in coaching, right? But kind of talk about that roadmap for you, man. You know, the, the interesting thing is, is 
I, I want to go back really, really quick. And I, I referenced this guy earlier, but his name is Heath Schroyer. So, so he's from Walkersville, Maryland. And we were roommates, college roommates at Kings River. Um, it's a white dude from Walkersville, Maryland. And you have an inner city black dude from Los Angeles or Pomona, California. And like our worlds couldn't be different. I mean, like you talk about polar opposites. His dude's raised on a, on a, on a cow farm and I'm from the inner city. And, and, and like he, yeah. he, he like, anyways, on paper, we, we did, had no idea who we were. So we go to Kings River and we come out of this, this experience after one year, just bonded and connected for life. And he played for a guy by the name of Morgan Wooten, who is kind of like there's John Wooden and then, and then Morgan's probably right under him as far as high school basketball is concerned across the globe. And so anyways, um, one summer I got a chance to go back with Heath and Coach Wooten and spent some time with me. And one thing that stuck with me that, that Coach Wooten said, he said, listen, son, don't ever chase money. Chase success. And money will always follow. And so if you look over the course of my career, every career decision that I've made, I made it chasing success. I never chased money. I always chased success. And so every time, Mo, that I made a decision to leave, I never wanted to leave. I was never looking to leave to go anywhere. When I left UC Davis, I was, I won't say I was forced, but I had to leave because of the opportunity that Loyola Marymount presented. I left UC Davis to go to Loyola Marymount as the third assistant coach. And at that time, this is how long ago this was. At that time, it was the restricted earnings coach. So the restricted earnings coach meant that I could only make $16,000 a year living in Los Angeles, not only Los Angeles, but in Ooh. Westchester, California, Marina Del Rey. You realize yeah. what that is. Like you realize yeah, where I that is, yeah, right? <laughs> $16,000 a year. And I couldn't go off campus recruiting. So all of my work was on campus. So I had scouts, I had equipment, I had, I was in charge of the strength conditioning, even though we had a strength conditioning coach, I still was in charge of him. Um, I had team travel. I had a lot of responsibility, um, but it was great. It was fascinating because every nuance dealing with the program, I had some hand in, not because, not to say that I, I'm this guru, but I could see up close and personal how it worked, how to manage it, how to kickstart it, how to kickstart fundraising, all of these different things that grew into you know, being able to run a program today. Um, so I leave Loyola Marymount. Heath Schroyer gets the head coaching job at Portland State. And we agreed that if we ever got into coaching, whoever got a head coaching job first, one would hire the other. Well, he held true to form. He hires me at Portland State. So I leave to go to Portland State. I'm there for two years. And we recruited an unbelievable class. I mean, like, really really proud of this class and I don't get to see the payoff because I leave to go to Nevada and I leave to go to Nevada because one of my mentors at the University of Nevada was working there his name is David Carter <clears throat> um, before the season ended they had they had gone to the Sweet 16 they had a heck of a run and and I called him and I said, hey, David, like, I want to come down after the season, man, and just pick your brain on skill development and do some things like this, blah, 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 blah. Well, Trent Johnson was a head coach. He ends up leaving and going to Stanford. 
So I was like, hey, I'll come down after you guys hire your guy. I'm not interested in the job or anything like that, yada, yada, yada. So a week later, he calls back and he says, hey, you know, Mark Fox got the job. Why don't you come down? They want to, he wants to talk to you. I said, no, I'm not interested. I'm staying here because I didn't know that these guys, these players would be this, but they ended up being one kid, the point guard, Will Fun from San Bernardino Valley. Yeah. Uh, it all come full circle. Number one point guard, number one, led the country in assists the next year. Led the country in assists the next year. The other kid that came, he was uh, not MVP, but he was an all-conference player. So we had two really, really good players, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to lead those guys. I didn't know that they were going to be that good, but I didn't want to lead them. Well, guess right. who they came from? They came from John Smith. Remember that name? I'll tell you. You know who he is, but I'll tell you. Yeah. Come full circle. So, um, long story short. I didn't want to leave to go to Nevada, even though it was like a $50,000 pay raise. I didn't want to leave oh. to go to Nevada. I was stuck because I wanted to chase success. Well, that group of players that we ended up recruiting at Portland State, they went on to win the first ever Big Sky Conference Championship. I wanted to be a part of that. I wasn't attracted to the money at Nevada. I wanted to be a part of the winning piece. Well, I ended up leaving, go to Nevada, those guys do what they did at Portland State. For two years at Nevada, again, I was a part of a winning culture. At Nevada, we won 52 games in two years. Went to the tournament two years in a row, which is unheard of. Right. <clears throat> so we're going into the third year at Nevada. We have unbelievable roster. We have Ramon Sessions, who was a 12-year NBA player. Nick Fazek yep. was drafted. Kevin Pinkney played for the Boston Celtics. JaVale McGee's coming from Chicago. Um, Armand Johnson, who played for the Portland Trailblazers. I mean, we got some guys coming, okay? So now, all of a sudden, Herb Sendek gets Arizona State. And through some mutual friends, he wants to talk. And I'm like, nah, I'm cool. Like, we just won 52 <laughs> games. Arizona State stinks. Um, no, we got JaVel McGee coming. Like, much respect, Coach Sendek, but no. So, <clears throat> um, long story short, Trent Johnson, again, one of my mentors, gets on the phone, and Sonny Vaccaro, that name ring a bell. Sonny gets on the phone, and, and like, Sonny's the godfather of battle, college basketball. You don't say no to Sonny. You, I don't care what you're doing. If Sonny says there's a train coming 100 miles an hour, get on the track, and as soon as the train comes, get off, you do that. That's how that's how influential he is. So Sonny gets on the phone and says, D, I need you to do me a favor. And I'm like, dang, I need you to just talk to the dude. Just, he's a little weird, but just, you know, just get on the phone and just, just talk to him. I'm like, okay, Sonny, I'll talk to him, but if you want me to talk to him, he's got to call Mark, Mark Fox, who was my boss at the time, and ask for permission and blah, 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 just trying to do things the right way. So they talk. <clears throat> so anything, anyway, one thing leads to another. I get on a plane, I go down and I visit, have a conversation. I'm like, okay, it's cool, it's great, but I'm not interested. So Trent Johnson calls me. D, you need to take the job. I'm like, why? No, I'm not interested. You need to take the job. Well, I needed to take the job because it was another opportunity to experience success at the highest level on the West Coast. 
even though Nevada was going to be really, really good, we had all kinds of pros come in and blah, 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 blah. It was another opportunity to take chasing success to a higher level. And oh yeah, by the way, it was, I think it was a, I went from 75,000 to 120,000 was my, my base salary. And again, never did we ever, I never wanted to talk salary. Like I never, I never, the, the salary piece was, was always the last thing that, that we talked about. And so yeah. kind of going through that metamorphosis, I spent, ended up spending seven years at Arizona State and then Cal State Fullerton opportunity came. And that was the one, the one opportunity I chased. I chased this one because you have to understand, I'm I grew up 35 minutes from here. My yep. sister went to school here. A bunch of my high school friends graduated from here. So I'm coming home. I felt like this was a, such a unique opportunity for me that I did. I went out of my way and I chased it. I chased it because again, clearly if you know anything about Cal State Fullerton, we weren't chasing money. No, sir. Right. We were not chasing right. money. We were chasing the opportunity to find success as a right. head coach. And so, um, in short, that's kind of how we got here. And as I was speaking about off the, off, uh, when we were on break, that that time frame was even, in my opinion, I think it was still, it was still way quicker than most average. Like my mentors, all of my mentors, they they weren't on that same fast track to become head coaches. Like most of those guys, <clears throat> I know three of them had become head coaches after I had become a head coach, which to me goes to show you a little bit about how crazy of a track record uh, or a fast track that I was on. It's, it's so interesting, man, because you talk about all those different places that you were and the talent that was yeah. coming in. And now the decision you have to make, right? Whether I'm going to stay or go. So I I teased going into the break about James Harden. And you and I have had this discussion, you know, off record and stuff like that, man. What was it like? Number one, you you played a a part in his recruitment, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk talk about that. Him being at Arizona State Mm -hmm. and then in him now to the player that he is today yeah um you know for me personally so so I was aware of him at Nevada like I knew he was really really good and I thought okay like we're gonna recruit him at Nevada um but his high school coach was a friend of mine and and I called him I said hey you know we want to recruit him and Probably about a month later, he called back. He was like, well, it's it's, it's well above you guys. You, you guys aren't going to be able to recruit him. I'm like, okay, cool. So we moved to Arizona State. He ends up coming to Arizona State. The summer, James was going into his senior year. My sole responsibility, my only job was to recruit and babysit James Hart. It's the best summer I've ever had as a college coach. Like, if James was in the gym, I was in the gym. If he was at a, if he was anywhere else, I was not in the gym. I didn't, I didn't have to be in the gym. My job was to make sure that I was in the gym and make sure that James' mom and James saw me in the gym. That was it. Like that was, that was, it was the best summer ever. I got to watch really good hoop because, of, because of him, his team that he was on, there were probably eight or nine Division One players, a really talented team. 
Um, but even watching him, would I, would I have been able to project that he would be who he is now? No. Would I project that, would I have projected that he would have been the third pick in the NBA draft? No, not even close. I saw glimpses of him being a really good NBA player, but nowhere near like, like he, the dude's arguably the best scorer in the game right now. And, 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 and that's, to me, that's not even the best thing about him. The best thing about that dude is his ability to manipulate the defense, to move them, to get them wherever he wants them to be able to do what he wants, whether that's score or, or make the right basketball decision. That's the best thing about his game. And people don't give him credit for that. They give him credit back, credit for his, his traveling step back three. And yes, I said traveling step back three <laughs> or, or his, you know, his, his, um, you know, his ability to get to the free throw line. Um, that's what he gets credit for. But to me, his best attribute is his ability to make consistently make the right basketball play. Um, and I'll tell you a really quick James Harden story. I think I've told you this before, but he was a freshman. And the thing with him is, is like, first of all, when he stepped on campus at Arizona State, my man was 17 years old. Yeah. He played his first year as a freshman in college set at 17. He was 17. And yeah. so what, like, what we had to do was kind of tell him, hey, James, like, it's okay to go, go, like, be you. Like, go, go take over. It's okay. Go ahead. Do it. Tell those guys to sit down over there or get the hell out of the way. Go do your deal. Like, tell them, go ahead. Sit down. Move. I got it. So uh, we were playing the rival, obviously, U of A. And there was a senior guard, uh, and I cannot remember his name. Uh, McClellan, I think is his name. 6'6", six, six, really good defender. He's a senior. Long, athletic, really good defender. Uh, last possession of the game. Game's tied. James has a ball in front of our bench, which is on the right-hand side of the floor, which means the left, the middle of the floor is open for him to go with his left hand. So this guy is so high up on the left-hand side of the floor. I mean, it's like, it's crazy. Like all James has to really, if he wanted to, all he had to do was just, just drive it one dribble right and he would have been able to lay it up. But he, he had no confidence in his right hand, like zero confidence. Like, so my man is like almost at half court. He's so high on his, on his left side. So James is right in front of our bench and I can hear James talking to this dude. You know, I'm about to go left, right? This is what James is saying. This is the middle of the game. The place is packed. The last possession of the game, the clock's winding down. 10, 9, 8. James is telling this poor kid, he's a senior. James is a 17-year-old freshman. You know I'm about to go left, right? And the kid's like, no, you're not. I'm, I'm way up here. You know I'm about to go left, right? Sure enough, six seconds, five, four. James jukes my man. Boom, hard to the right. My man jumps all the way below him because he thinks he's going to go right. James jukes him, laughs, goes to his left, lays it up. The kid fouls him and won game over. And James is at the free throw line about to shoot the free throw. He's like, I told you I was going left. Bang, game over. From that moment on, I said, you know what, fellas? We got one. At we got 17 one. years old. At 17 years old. At 17 years old. And from that moment, in my opinion, he realized his stardom. 
he realized who he was. And again, even at that moment, I still wouldn't, I still would not have told you he would have been the third pick in the NBA draft. No did way. He have, did he have work ethic? He did, but not as much as he did between his sophomore year and all-star break of his rookie year. Not as much. Like he came in, he was fleshy. Like he's a big kid. He, he's yeah. as as we say, he's big boned. Like his body yeah. fat was was like 16, 17%. At his best, we got him down to about 12 or 13. Between his the end of his sophomore year and the start of the start of his um of the all-star break, he came back to campus. My man was yeah. down to six percent. Six percent body fat, because he understood what being in shape was. He understood what, and and you also got to understand, he went to a team with Russell Westbrook and and Kevin Durant, Durant. and yeah. probably the best influence wasn't even those two guys. There was an older guy on his team, um, and I can't think of his name. There was an older guy on his team that that he gives a lot of credit to, and I cannot think of his name. Um, for his that's work, crazy, man. yeah, that's so. crazy. Man. And I, I think you learned a lot going through that. You talk about your your coaching ladder. I think you learned a lot, and you may not know. It's so funny that you said that somebody told you, "Don't chase money, chase success." I tell that to my daughter. I tell that's okay. those are things that I talk about. Don't chase money, chase success. Titles come with with that, and so does the money. So you don't have to even you know look at that part. So. For all you kids out there and, and those parents who are listening, yes, chase the success, the money will follow. So let's talk about, we was talking about DNA and uh, you know, I'm gonna talk about develop you, which is right behind you. Yeah. When I talk about DNA, talk about Titan DNA and, and what that means to you. Um, you know, it's it's something that has evolved since we've been here, and I feel like it's something that we finally settled in on. And the first thing with Titan DNA is character. If you're a low character, low energy type of dude, then I don't want to have anything to do with you. No disrespect, it's just we don't rock together. We just don't mesh. We It, it would be like oil and water um, trying to find a way to come together. It just don't happen, right? Um, character is probably the most important thing that you can have for me high character not just any character high character and i don't mean like you're going to be perfect i mean like you know right from wrong and you constantly seek right with the possibility of making wrong you know making the wrong decision but realizing hey i screwed that up my bad coach i'll take responsibility for it and boom i'm right back on track those are the kinds of guys that i i find um attractive i find um that can make the most of their situation. Just guys that are driven by getting better, um, which leads me to my next piece, energy. Energy. Low energy, low motivated dudes don't do it for me. High energy guys, they, you, you have to bring something to the table. You just have to, because again, um, character and energy, they just, they automatically go together like peanut butter and jelly. They just yeah. happen. Kool-Aid and sugar. They just, they rock. They rock. <laughs> they just, they just, you know, like it just happens, man. You can't have one without the other, right? Um, and you said it backwards. It should be sugar and Kool-Aid because you've always yeah. put more sugar than Kool-Aid. You got to. Well, you and me do. You know, we don't know about the listeners. 
you and me, you know. <laughs> you and me do. We don't know about the listeners. But as long as they got them, as long as they got them, that's all that matters. Um, effort, 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 effort. I can't say it enough. Um, character, energy, effort, and then some level of discipline um, are, are things that that jump off the page to me. And, and then, you know, within that effort is, is some type of work effort, work ethic. Um, and, and, and they're kind of one in the same, but they're kind of different. A work ethic for me is, is, is that's, that's your separator. Like a work ethic is, uh, I'll give you a perfect example because I think this guy single-handedly changed the culture of our program with his work ethic. Um, Kyle Allman Jr. Man, I knew he was going to say York. that. <clears throat> he had, and, and here's a crazy thing about this whole situation, though, is my man had zero, zero, zero scholarship offers, okay? Zero scholarship offers. And he came here as a typical New York kid, athletic, quick, long, rangy defender, New York game. He could get to the rim with any of them, but he couldn't shoot a pee in the ocean if he was standing in the, in the middle of it. Like, he could not shoot and he got on the floor because he played hard, because he could defend as a freshman. He played limited minutes, but we knew when he put when we put him in the, on the game, he was going to play hard. He was going to defend. He was going to find a way to get to the rim and, and probably get to the free throw line. So um, going from a freshman to a sophomore, he was like, I got to get on the floor. I got to get on the floor. So he took those things and he got better at those things. But going from his sophomore year to his junior year, he just started working, started working. And so one perfect example is we go to play Irvine, his junior year. We beat Irvine at Irvine, which is crazy in itself, never happened. We beat Irvine, my, we come back. I go to my office, he goes to his locker room, put my stuff down, I'll probably spend 45 minutes in there. I come back to leave, he has changed out of his game stuff into his practice stuff, and he's in there working, shooting, working, shooting. I don't know how long he lasted in there, but just that mindset of working on his game. All of a sudden, I started to see guys in the gym in the morning, late at night, early in the morning, late at night, after games, before games. And then all of a sudden, man, it just became our deal. It became a, a situation where if you weren't working, you became the oddball. And so that, now that has become a part of our culture to where if you come here and you don't work in the weight room, guys are going to call you out or you're going to call yourself out because you're going to be looking around like, dang, I, ain't, I, ain't, I don't look like them dudes. Yeah, and so th that's that's that has become the Titan DNA, and yeah. those four things are what describes develop you. And so we we apply those things across the board, not just in the not just on the court, but in the weight room, in the classroom, individually, in terms of your person, your work ethic, individually, like your the humanity, who you are. Um, we, we apply those things across the board. And so we, we want the whole person to develop. Man, it's funny because, look, 
you know, I was I was at games, man, and mm-hmm. that kid, I, you know, we called him New York. That's what that's what me and my buddies referred to him as, because the swagger and the work that he was putting in, and I, you talk about all those things that encompass your DNA and and your culture. Look, with that, with him on that basketball team, you guys won the Big West Championship in, in 2018 and yeah. went to the tournament, right? Yeah. And yep. you play Purdue. Talk about that experience and what that entire thing did for your program kind of moving forward. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, it just it just it gave us the confidence that if we do work, this is what the reward can be. If we do put in the work, this is what the reward can be. Obviously, you have to have talent, but notice you didn't hear me mention anything about talent. Nope. The talent is 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 if, if we offer you a scholarship, we're saying you're talented enough. That's 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 never the question. The question now becomes, are you willing to work? Are you willing to put forth the best character part of your, the best character um, quotient of yourself? Are you, are you willing to consistently give everything you have in terms of effort? Are you willing to continue to be coachable? Um, and what what going to the tournament did for for our group again, like I said, it just it just validated us. It validated that validated us that said, you know, hey, we're we're doing things the right way. If we're willing to work and work consistently, this can be the reward. And and I think we saw the following year we weren't as consistent in certain areas as we were the year before. And because we weren't, we didn't achieve that reward again. We got close, but we weren't. We we didn't deserve it because we weren't consistent in those areas. It's it's it was just so dynamic because even even the the city surrounding you felt the energy no doubt. around Fullerton. You know, with with what was going on. Um, so I went to the the next following season, and this was this was it was special to me. Because I know that it was special for you. You didn't talk about it as much, but I call you and I'm like, yo, man, I'm going to be in Arizona doing that Arizona State game. You're yeah. going back. I want to come to the game. Yeah. You're going back to play the school and the program that you came from. Yeah. And look, I- I'm going to tell the listeners, you can talk about it, but I'm going to tell the listeners, it was game on. It was game on. It was... T- Probably one of the most exciting college basketball games that I've been to. Kind of talk uh, about that, man. Yeah, you know, you know, it was it was it was surreal for me um, because I obviously I cut my teeth at Arizona State and um, being able to go back and see some of the people, some of the boosters, um, even some of the players, um, some of the some of the fans. Um, you know, it was my first time ever being in the visitor's locker room. I didn't even know what the visitor's locker room was. And so being able to experience that, um, going to shoot around and, and just, you know, the emotion of, of being there, it was, it was awesome. It was really, really awesome. And then, and then the game set in and, and again, those two guys, Kyle and, and Khalil, those guys put on a show. I mean, they just played out of their mind, particularly, actually, both of them, I think. Both of them. Yeah, I think one of them had 40 and the other had 45 or something like that. I mean. And it went in overtime. Yeah, two overtimes. I mean, they both played played out of their mind and really gave ourselves a chance to win. I mean, we should have won in both 
should have won in regulation and we should have won in the first overtime and we ended up running out of gas. But um, it, it was just one, one great way to start the season coming off of, you know, coming off of the tournament run and, and, and um, with those two guys kind of carrying the torch, it was, it was a great way to start the season in that environment you know it was it was the first game of the college season and so the energy was was through through the roof and uh, i think the people they, they received us really really well and then we gave them a great show probably too much of a show because they haven't invited us back yet <laughs> so, so it was it was it was awesome it was a lot of fun um you know it sucks that we lost uh, that part that part stunk um, yeah. But but I was proud of my guys. I was proud of them. Um, we played without one of our studs. Jackson Road didn't even play, and we still yeah. had us a chance to to win. So um, we learned a lot about our group um, moving forward. And you know, again, I can't say enough about what those two guys, KJ and Khalil, did for us that night. Yeah, that was that was awesome, man. It was it was great to see. I, I know I know we lost the game, but you know, just to see where it pushed. Uh, us that season into the finals at the, uh, yeah. of the Big West Championship, and yeah. it kind of it kind of stunned Arizona State because they were predicted to be you know top ten. I think they made number one for one week or something like that. So it was yeah. cool to see, man. Yeah. A couple more questions yeah. before we get out of here, man. I want to I want to kind of talk to you about number one, your mentor. But first, I want to ask you about uh, John John Wooden's impact on you, man. Um, you know, like I, I shared with you guys offline here, um, I had a chance to go to his to his camp as a young kid. I think I was maybe 12 or 13, and, and I was awarded his pyramid of success as a young kid. And again, um, I didn't know the impact uh, at that time. My parents did, and some of my family, they understood it. And so they were, they were ranting and raving, and I was just like, you know, cool, great, it's awesome. Um, but obviously, as I as I became a coach and I became more aware of John Wooden's legacy and who he was, and having an opportunity to meet him um, as I was a coach, it really sat in with me and and kind of uh, had a not kind of, but it had a, a, a resounding effect and impact um, because I started to read what the pyramid of success was about. And, and so from that standpoint, I, and then when I became a head coach, I, had, I got to participate in the wooden luncheon and got a chance to tell the story of receiving the award to his family and what impact it had on me. And, and more than anything, I think the, the humility piece that Coach Wooden carried with him, all of the success that he had and who he could have been from a arrogant standpoint, how humble he was and, and um, how he carried himself and how caring he was for others. Um, that has always played a huge, huge part of of, um, of my world. And then the other piece is just how simple, how simple he was. Like, like he spoke to the Nevada team and <clears throat> the team was all sitting around at his feet and we were excited for just these nuggets of knowledge, like not even these nuggets, like these, these tons of knowledge that he was about to drop. And he asked the question, he said, hey guys, what color uniform are you guys wearing tonight? Blue coach. 
He said, well, I got something good for you. Make sure tonight you pass the ball to the team wearing blue. And man, dudes was just like, what? Duh. Really? But if you think about it, it's like, that's one of the most important parts of success. Pass the f- Don't turn the freaking ball over, Chief. <laughs> but again, just, just like just, just being simple, like, like literally how much time he put into teaching his team how to put on their socks and tie their shoes so that they wouldn't yeah. get blisters. So, so those are two things that I carry with me from Coach Wooden, just, just being simple. Because to Tony's point earlier, everybody's in such a hurry to do what? Nothing. Screw it up. Yep. Slow down, yep. bro. Slow down. <laughs> Take your time. Get it right. And, and I think there's a, song, a, a saying, I, 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 think I, I think I saw it on one of those uh, hard knocks where a guy says, do it right, do it light. Do it wrong, do it long. That's right. And it just, it's so true. It's so true, man. And and, and again, like, like we walk, the team, even me, as a young coach, I, I'm so dumb. I was like, come on, Coach Wooden, God dang, like, really? You, that's all you, that's all you have for us? Walking out of the room, like, and I think that night, Coach, I think we turned that ball over probably about 20 times. <laughs> there you go. And lost. <laughs> and lost. Took a big fat hit. Took a big pass to the blue. All you got to do is pass the team wearing blue, you dummy. You the one. That's it. That's it, man. Uh, look, my last question, man. One of your biggest mentors. Who? One of my biggest mentors. I mean, obviously, Herb Sendak is probably, probably one of my biggest because I spent the most time with him um, as a as a as an assistant, and so I think he uh, probably shows up the most in our program as far as how we do things, as far as how I coach, how I think. Um, but I would say this, man: there's there's a slew of guys that, as an assistant, allowed me to kind of nestle up under them and just learn from them. And, and, and they are Gary Stewart. He's a head coach now. He used to be at UC Davis as a head coach. Um, he's a head coach at a Division three school and, and on the East Coast at Stevenson's College. Um, David Carter, who I mentioned, he's an assistant in Nevada. He's the head coach, former head coach of Nevada. He's now at Loyola Marymount as an assistant. Um, Trent Johnson, who's this, the head coach at Stanford, at LSU, at TCU. He's now assistant at um, Cal. Um, Marty Wilson, who also is an assistant at Cal, is a former assistant or head coach at, at Pepperdine. Um, all of those guys, um, Donnie Daniels, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Donnie Daniels, is a former head coach at, at Fullerton. Um, Marvin Menzies, who's a former head coach at UNLV in New Mexico State. All of those guys were assistants um, when I was kind of coming up. And they are guys that I looked up to because A, they looked like me. B, they were, I thought they were guys that were about their business. They weren't in the gym screwing around and talking stupid. They were, they were, they were working. And I thought because they were working, 
they were having success. And I tried to pattern myself after them. Um, anytime I saw them in the gym, I would park my butt right next to them. And I would be trying my best to look at their notes. I wouldn't talk, I'd just listen. What do you, and, and I would, every once in a while, I'm like, why, why, why are you right now? What do you think? Why are you, why are you like him? What are you thinking about him? What are you gonna do when you leave here about him? Like I would just ask all kinds of questions and I would just, because I wanted to know what they were doing. I wanted to know why they had success and if I could mimic their version of success. And I'm so grateful that they gave me the opportunity to do that. And obviously Coach Romar, who you had on the show previously, is another guy who I was able to do that from afar. I wasn't able to sit next to him, um, but I could watch him from afar. And if I wanted to ask him something, he was so humble and so forthcoming to me. Um, he would tell me anything. He literally would tell me anything um, that I wanted to know. And, and funny story, James Harden, he was our biggest, he was our biggest rival. Like that's who we had to be to get James Harden. And I tell you what, he was a monster. He was a monster. Um, but again, you talk about a mentor. I watched how he handled his business. Like when he walked into the gym, he owned the gym. He owned the gym. He talked to everybody. He let everybody know he was in the gym. The recruit, he made eye contact. The crazy story, he's sitting on the baseline one time and the ball bounces to him. And the ref's standing there like, hey, give me the ball. And Coach Romar waited until the, the kid that he wanted, the kid that he was recruiting, he waited until that kid looked at him, threw him the ball. And again, you know, like, doesn't sound like a big deal, but that is ginormous. Old school. And to this day, I get a ball on the baseline, Get away from there. Right to him. Just, 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 just exactly. Little, little, little things. Don't stand by everybody else. Stand by the water cooler. Who has to come by the water cooler? The players. Yeah. Just things like yeah. that, man. Just, just, you know, things to separate yourself. Those are all things that I learned from those guys. And again, I'm so grateful. And now, it's incumbent upon me to share those things with the, the dudes behind me. And Yo, so you've been doing that, you, that's, you, got some, uh, you sent some head coaches to other colleges this year. You know, Smitty went to uh, yeah. Cal State up, up, up San Luis Obispo. Yep. And uh, you sent a few. You sent a few. Somebody else went to uh, yeah. Montana Sprinkle, State. Sprinkle went to Montana State. And so, yeah, you know, we're, 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 we're trying to make sure that we give back because I was treated that way. It's an, it's imperative that I do the same. And that's all. Yeah. I got it. Well, that's cool, man. I, I hope, I hope those listeners understood, you know, I asked the, it's a loaded question to ask for one mentor. It's kind of difficult to have one mentor when you going through the ranks of college coaching, you're going to have multiple mentors. So to those kids out there and, and their parents, if, if you're looking for mentors, make sure that you uh, seek success through uh, people that are around you and close to you. Um, Dietrich, do you have a, a, a Twitter account people can follow you? Um, yeah, 
Um, my Twitter, I believe, is Coach. Is it Taylor. at S uh, at CSF Coach yeah. Taylor? Yep, at CS yeah at CSUF Coach Taylor or at CSUF Coach Taylor. Yeah, that's my Twitter. Yeah. So you make sure you uh, follow Coach Taylor. I'll make sure we get the right one out, Tony, because I know yeah. you're looking at me like y'all had 19 different. Uh, <laughs> well, here it is. Here it is. It's at CSF Coach Taylor. That's what it is. At CSF yeah. Coach Taylor. That's what it is. And if I can be yeah, of we, any help, we're going to get this out. Definitely hit me up on that thing, man. Let me know what I can do. And, and anybody and everybody is welcome um, to, to come be a part of what we're trying to do. And like I said, if I can help in any way, let me know. Man, we appreciate that, man. I know uh, we're looking forward to uh, this upcoming season. You know, even this, if it's without fans, uh, yeah. you know, good luck to you and the program out there. I know you're doing some big things, man. And uh, you always have my support. So uh, keep up. Appreciate it. Definitely. Appreciate all right, it. No problem, man. Listen to all you people out there. Thank you for taking the time to listen to my annoying voice. Um, I'm going to go out this way once again. The cause outweighs the health risk. The cause outweighs the health risk. That's letting you know that if we sit here and continue to be silent, that things do not get accomplished. Enough is enough. Look, my podcast will continue to cover any and everything from adolescence, high school education, high school sports and athletes. I will continue to interview educators, athletic directors, college coaches, and you know, they don't think that they're celebrities, even if they're hood celebrities, you know, they're celebrities um, in my book. Look, my hope is to share my passion for education, high school extracurricular activities, and higher learning. We will continue to cover topics that will further our educators, build our community around education and higher learning. Find me on social media anywhere on Twitter at Mo underscore or that's with two R's or on Instagram at Mo the HS narrative and make sure to subscribe and comment on any of our podcast apps. I will leave you with this. Take some time to do something nice for someone else. In turn, someone will do something nice for you. Stay motivated pun intended. And remember, when adversity comes, look it straight in the eye and say, I'm strong, I'm loved, and I will overcome you. I got to go. You have been watching and listening to Talk to Talk with Mo Orr, for Tony, for Coach Taylor. I'm Mo. Until next time, be the voice of change. I am out. From Intro Wheels, I've been in the tire and wheel industry for about 40 years. We start by buying the logs of aluminum, then we cut them to size, depending on the rim. We send them out for forging, which they make them look like a pancake. So from there, we put them on the lathe. We do the shape that we need for the style of the rim. And then from the lathe, we put them on a milling. And that's when my brother comes in with his programming and his designs. And then after that, we send them out for polishing, chroming, powder coating. Then we assemble here, you know, well, clean them, repolish them, box them, everything to ship out. It's a quite a bit of a process. That's why it's an expensive product, because it, it takes hours of work for one single ring. The reason that we were well known is because we were constantly innovating new designs. And besides that, our quality has always been there for the industry. And that's what really made us different from everybody else.